One, two, one, two, three, four. Josie and the Podcasts. Kia ora and welcome to Josie and the Podcasts, a six-part limited podcast series all about the 2001 cult classic Josie and the Pussycats, hosted by me, best-selling author, journalist and screenwriter Maria Lewis. And produced by me, film critic and podcaster Blake Howard, behind shows like One Heat Minute, The Last 12 Minutes of the Mohicans, and now All the President's Minutes. And welcome to this bonus episode of Josie and the Podcats about the OG Josie, Miss Dion Gibson. This is our fourth, fourth, count them, one, two, three, fourth bonus episode, Maria Lewis. Do you love making podcasts? I, sure. Um, <laughs> I also can't count past four. So this works out great for my limited abilities. And I mean, we like to do each bonus episode on something that's related to our main episode. Yeah, for our history one, we did a bonus on how Archie broke the comics code. For episode two, development, we did a bonus on the fashion of Josie and the Pussycats, which is really great and also really bad, which makes it really great. (laughs) Um, Production, which was episode three, we did a bonus episode dedicated entirely to... And since our last episode was all about the soundtrack of the film, this week's bonus is about someone who worked on it right at the very start and was actually the original singing voice of Josie for the movie before the voice we all know today. Kay Hanley from Letters to Cleo. Hello, my name is Dee Dee Dion Gibson. I am an actress and a singer. Ew. Um... Okay, so I guess I kind of want to start with how we met. <laughs> because it's a weird I love story. That story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> so long story short, we've been on a pop culture convention tour. You are over from the US. I'm based in Australia. The tour is in Australia. And um, we've been hanging out. And then we were on a boat uh, to an island off the coast of West Australia. And we were talking, uh, well, I was talking to a mutual friend of ours, Shannon, who's an incredible voice actor. And I was telling him about this podcast that I was working on called Josie and the Podcats, all about the 2001 (laughs) film, (laughs) Josie and the Pussycats. (laughs) And we're on this boat. I'm extremely hungover and feeling a little queasy. And then you just kind of pop up like, oh, Josie and the Pussycats, you say, and tell me you were the Uh original singing voice of Josie, which is an amazing little bit of serendipity. I was. (laughs) And that was very serendipitous. Yeah, it's. I was like, what? No, girl. Uh-uh. <laughs> so well, that's what, how you were. <laughs> yeah, I nearly threw myself off the boat. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, this podcast has taken me to a lot of unexpected places. And one thing I sure as shit didn't expect was to meet someone who worked on the project at sea while we were all on our way to pet land rats known as quarkers. Now, Dee is one of those Swiss army knife type people. And what I mean by that is she has a myriad of different talents and skill sets. Some of you listening might be familiar with her work from NCIS, Pee Wee's Big Holiday, or the beloved and extremely hilarious exploitation satire Black Dynamite, where she plays Aphrodite and also sings the song Shine on the soundtrack, which she wrote too. See what I'm saying? Swiss army knife type person. Instead. 
those vocals brought back memories to Patrice Holloway, the woman so good she sung the character of Valerie into existence after the Hanna-Barbera show nearly had three all-white pussycats, then you wouldn't be the only one. Patrice's involvement was groundbreaking for pop culture representation. Valerie became the first black character on Saturday morning cartoons ever, and Dee's involvement would have been a massive deal for the Josie and the Pussycats movie too, except things didn't quite work out that way. To recap quickly from our soundtrack episode, Kenny Babyface Edmonds is executive producer on the soundtrack, and the team Universal assembles is this eclectic mix of people from key 90s indie rock type acts like Cannon Crows, Jane Wildland from the Go-Go's, Jellyfish, That Dog, Biff Naked, Fountains of Wayne, and eventually Kay Hanley and Michael Eisenstein from Letters to Cleo. Kay initially came in to give Rachel Lee Cook, Tara Reid, and Rosario Dawson a rock star type band camp session and do backing vocals, write a few songs, but her journey to ending up as the singing voice of Josie was a bumpy one. Here's Kay. Well, I'll spill the tea a little bit. Um, <laughs> spill that tea. I, I did not. So the story is a little bit longer than I originally told you. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna expand. Do it. Um, so when we got to LA, and I started, um, you know, going into the studio to sing these songs that Dave, my, my very dear friend, Dave Gibbs had written with a variety of people like, you know, uh, Jane Weedlin and uh, Anna Warrenker and, you know, and Adam Duras, you know, he had just been like making the rounds, writing these songs. So Dave was kind of like, he really wanted me to get this job, but I was not a shoe in and, but I didn't know that. So I was like going to the studio every day and, you know, with, and we had like extended our stay and, um, you know, I would go in and I would do my best to sing the songs and everyone was just, but it's real singing for me is like, it's not easy. It doesn't come very easily. And it's like kind of an emotional thing. And if I get flustered or what, like, I just can't do it. So I felt like all of a sudden, like all this pressure to like, and also by the way, back up a little bit. I don't, I never considered myself a singer either. Like I was the singer in Letters to Cleo only because I wrote the lyrics and there was no one else to sing them. So like I sang them, but like I didn't, I never wanted to be a singer. It just kind of happened. So that that's all background. So now I'm going into the studio every day with, uh, you know, Dave and, uh, and Babyface and uh, Deb and Harry, and everyone's kind of like, you know, I'm at the microphone singing these songs, which I've also never sung anybody else's songs either. So that's another thing. And like looking at them, they're talking to each other in the sound booth and I'm singing and I'm just like, oh my God, what is happening? So it was just like, it was like very, it was really created a lot of angst for me. Like I just didn't, I didn't understand what was happening. And so I would go back to the hotel. Michael and I would have dinner with the baby and hang out. And and then they'd be like, oh, well, take tomorrow off. And I'd be like, okay. And then I'd come back the next day 
and there'd be like CDs of like all my friends' bands, like as if they had been, as if as if like Deb and Harry and Babyface and everybody had been scouting all of my friends' bands to see if they would do a better job than me. What Kay didn't know at the time, and what she wouldn't find out until years later, was that whole experience was almost identical to Dee, the woman she refers to as the original Josie singer who got fired off the job. Now, to rewind a minute, that track Shine that Dee sings of Black Dynamite, the power of her vocals and range, that seems a little difficult to imagine realistically coming out of Rachel Lee Cook's mouth as she mimed the words in the movie. Rachel had already given it a crack, remember? She sings a Blink-182 song in the hopes of singing in the movie before they decided to head in another direction. But in 1995, when Dee was first coming up in the industry, the music she was making was a lot closer in sound and theme to the stuff of Babyface's collaborators on Josie, like Counting Crows and Fountains of Wayne. Okay, so. I was in a band in 1995. I uh, was one of the creators of a band called Edith Wish. And we were a pretty popular, um, like throughout the Southeast, we were a rock band. But we were all black, all female, and we all played instruments. And we were a big deal in Atlanta and... Uh, all up and down the southeast. So we had worked with so many different people, and one of the first people that wanted to sign us was L.A. and Babyface, and they had a a record label at the time called The Face. Well, long story short, we went through a whole long process, bidding wars, and we never went with Babyface in, in L.A., but Babyface always you know, kept me in the loop as well as uh, L.A. because they just really loved the band and was always wondering what, you know, what we were doing, even though we eventually got signed to Airster Records. And so one day, out of the blue, by this time, fast forward, we just wish had gone through all kinds of craziness, a record deal, uh, and then didn't have a record deal, then didn't put out any music, and it was just, it all went to trash. <laughs> and I went, decided to get back into my acting career. And I was writing music still on the side and doing a solo project. I had left the band. And I got a call out to Blue from um, Babyface. I was at a friend's house. And he goes, is this Dion? D.D. Dion? And I said, yeah, it's me. And he says, this is Babyface. And I was like, who? <laughs> and he said, it's Kenny, Kenny Edmonds. And I was like, oh, yay, hey. He said, and he's like, no, it's really me. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And then he goes, yeah, I'm doing this project uh, with a director. He told me the name, Debbie Kaplan, and uh, I couldn't tell you the other director's name. And we're doing this movie called Josie and the Pussycats. And you ever heard of Josie and the Pussycats? And I was like, yeah, I know that you know, that cartoon, like, yeah, they need a voice for the character Josie. And they want you to sing all the songs. I told them about you and let them hear your music and they love your voice. So I want you to come out. I also would love for you to write on the album as well, because I had been writing other songs um, that they had heard when I was in the band. 
It's hard to track down a lot of the early stuff of Edith's Wish, but here's a snippet from Lose the Sun. And yes, this is very different from Shine, but you can hear instantly how it connects with what they were going for on the Josie and the Pussycat soundtrack and how D fits with the other musicians who were working on that project. They flew me out to LA and I was out here about almost a month. I was about here out here about three and a half weeks and working on Josie and the Pussycats and we recorded about uh maybe we recorded Spin Around, Come On, This is the place where I sit and one more. Think of it right now. We recorded four songs, uh, as well as I wrote on Come On and also This Is the Place Where I Sit. Uh, I can't think of the title of that song, but I think that's what it's called. Is it You Don't um, See Me? Is that the one? Yeah, You Don't See yeah. Me. That's it. Yeah. And, um, and then I sung, we recorded them in the studio. was an extract of the track D was calling the place where I sit you don't see me which is the one lower tempo song on the album and that kind of thing was her area of expertise that's my specialty I'm great at rock ballads mm. and folk like a singer songwriter ballads I was into back in the day I was into Jewel and into um, Lisa Loeb and Alanis Morissette and I really learned a lot from songwriting, you know, about songwriting from them. They were so good. And then uh, also Soundgarden influenced me too. Chris Cornell, oh, man, their, their ballads, those rock ballads were killing. But anyway, so my experience writing was, it was awesome. We all sat in the room with uh, Jane from the Go-Go's. I can't think of her last name. Jane, Jane, starts with a W. I mean, Jane from the Go-Go suffices. Like, who needs a last name? Jane from the Go-Go, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Jane from the Go-Go's. There was a guy that that would play with Counting Crows every now and then, but I'm not sure if he was actually in Counting Crows. But Adam Durant was also uh, writing in the writer's room. And this guy who played with Counting Crows, or we knew him or something. His name was David. Dave did. He was a guitar player um, on Josie and the Pussycats as well. And uh, he was in the writing room. One of the people on that team who Dee remembers really well and who was a personal favorite during her time on Josie was the late 
great Adam Schlesinger from Fountains of Wayne. He was just so kind to me, like just so, really so kind. Because it was it was a lot of pressure. You know, I was a black girl being the voice of a white, kind of punk rocky uh, is what they were going for, you know, for Josie and the Pussycats. And I was rock. I was not punk rock per se, but I was definitely rock. And we heard, like, uh, my voice, when we got signed, Erica, we purposely would, you know, put just silhouettes so that no one would know that we were all girls, They, but just that we had a female singer. And, you know, I would be mistaken a lot of times for white rock singers, which is why I guess they were trying to put my voice onto this album at first. So, but for me, it was a lot of pressure. And Babyface had, you know, he was, him and his wife, Tracy Edmonds were, I think the executive producers, and we recorded everything in his studio. So it was, you know, a lot of pressure, I think, on them too, bringing a black person in to a pretty much all white environment. You know, we were the only black people, me, Babyface, and Tracy, and everybody else, you know, was Caucasian and doing Caucasian music. It was, we did, I definitely felt the pressure. (laughs) You can hear the bulk of our interview with Adam on our last episode, Soundtrack. And as you know, he passed away from complications to coronavirus on April 1, 2020. And Founders of Wayne just reunited last week to honour his memory and raise funds at the Jersey for Jersey benefit concert for the New Jersey Pandemic Relief Fund, which you can find the link in our show notes if you'd like to donate. As Dee mentioned, she was feeling the pressure and that feeling was not imagined. Kay felt it too when she would come in a few weeks later after Dee and their accounts mirror each other for a reason. Oh, wow. Okay, so I'm there recording. And uh, like I said, I've been there almost a month and uh, I've been going to the studio every day to either write or sing. And so this after I recorded another song, I went home, I went to the hotel and was in my room and I got a call the next morning, which I usually, usually my the car to come and get me, to pick me up. And, but it baby face this time. And he said, listen, there's a whole bunch of craziness going on at the studio. So I want you to sit tight today. And I had some feeling, you know, some weirdness in there as I, as I was recording anyway. And I could feel the energy and um, it was just very strange. And so I was like, okay. So I sat out and I sat out that day. And I was like, hmm, you know, just thinking, I wonder what's going on. And I was, I was already, you know, in my mind, they're, you know, you know, the black girl. They're probably you know, that was already back in in my mind. Which, you know, being a black girl, a lot of times we face that's our lens. A lot of times we see the world through if people are going to accept us or not, and you either dwell in that or you push it back to your back of your mind. 
so you can just keep going forward and you know kind of making your mark and making a trail and digging a hole through life you know sometimes you just have to throw it back there but you know it's kind of way back there <laughs> you know so I was like oh lord I hope that my voice is, is going to be good for the project I you know but in my mind I honestly have to say I thought uh, maybe it's too black or it's, it's too white sounding or too, uh, too this, too that, too that, you know, it's a million things. And then but you just try to shut it off and wait. And so one day goes by, then two days go by. Didn't hear anything, three days go by. Comes to the weekend, still haven't heard any from anyone. I'm still there just like, you know, calling, not getting any answers. And I end up, uh, oh, I have to mention, in that time, on one of the weekends that I was off, I went to Person X, who was involved in the project, took me to a party, to, uh, invited me to a party at Adam Durant's house. And we were all there, and this certain person uh, I kind of had a sketchy feeling about him anyway, just, you know, during working on the project and stuff. Uh, so we get there, and he, you know, we're all talking and everything. He starts to have conversation about how I'm feeling, you know, working in with this situation, and you know, what else have I done, and. You know, have I ever sung rock before? You know, but the the questions are all leading to this this ultimate question of, do you like doing this? Is you know, is this something that you really want to do? You know, and I'm like, yeah, this is exciting. Are you kidding me? It's amazing. Oh, okay. Um, I was just wondering because you know, like if you don't want to do it, you know, you really don't have to. And I was like. Uh, what is all that coming from? Yeah, I'm loving this. What are you talking about? Opportunity of a lifetime. Working with Babyface. I didn't even know who the who the directors were at the time, but you know, working with Babyface and, and his wife was just amazing to me. And and to be a singer on a movie, I didn't know where the movie was going to go or what it was going to do. But and but it was all this conversation kind of geared towards you know kind of talking me out of it, out of, you know, doing it. And I was just like, hmm. And then he said, well, because, you know, I have a girlfriend. She sings this kind of stuff. I mean, it's really her style. I guess he was dating somebody that he was trying to get, you know, into this position as the singer. That's what it was feeling like to me. He was, you know, yeah, this is her thing. She sings this kind of music and everything. Yeah, I was trying to, you know, get her in, but, you know, you know, but you're doing a great job. You know, this is very, very undercutty. You know, I don't know. That's not even a word. From the energy in the studio, the hushed discussions, the phone call and delayed work until the eventual pin was pulled, that was Dee's experience. And then a few weeks later when Kay came in, that was basically her exact same experience too. And that person who was getting flown in to sing for Josie after Kay left, 
that was person X's girlfriend. The one D had said she thought she was getting hustled out of the way for. Here's the thing. At the time, I was doing a lot anyway. And it's funny with artists, as long as they're busy, they're less grumpy. <laughs> you know, but if it was the only thing that you were counting on, then a lot of times you, you know, you sit and sulk in that because there's nothing else going on. But at that time, I, I was, had gotten back into acting too. So I was uh, doing a couple films that year. And so one thing kind of helps you forget about the other thing that didn't work out. You know, the best thing of, you know, to cure not booking something is booking something else. So I kind of just was mo- moved on. The only bitterness I had with that, um, I was missed when I was there because I was like, what's going on? Somebody just tell me what's happening because I kind of had felt it in the room anyway and the energy, you know, when somebody's rooting for you and they love you, you know the difference. They're just like, oh my God, yes, do it again. Anything you do, they're just like, oh my God, I love you, do that. Oh my God, I love you, do that. You know, otherwise, if they don't, if they're not feeling, you can just kind of feel that, you know what I mean? When that certain person, yeah, mm-hmm, took me to that, you know, invited me to that party and was just kind of side sideways hustling me like that and then trying to throw his girlfriend up on there, that pissed me off a lot. I was just like, you are trying to do a slick move. You invite me to a party to talk to me, to really try to talk me out of being here so that you can get your girlfriend in. You are, you know, don't, I'm not going to go there. (laughs) But that was not cool. And then also, the other thing that wasn't cool is I never got paid. What? Never got paid. I... Um, there was a lawyer that called me to talk about a deal and I was supposed to get paid a certain amount of money and a nice little amount of money. I never got money for it. Never. And I have, I, you know, I get little residuals here and there from ASCAP, but there's nothing of what I'm supposed to get, you know, like you get this in the movie, but nothing like I was supposed to get on the front end. I never got paid. And that, uh, that lawyer had asked me, get, got all my information and everything. I didn't know. I didn't have a manager at the time. So the lesson in, you know, not having anybody there in my corner to make sure this deal went down I had just on the face of baby face because I'd known him from you know my rock band days and you know he sent me a ticket and you know flew me out there got me a hotel room and you know fed me gave me a per diem when I was there but never paid me to for singing or the writing sessions what so, the fuck? And then he, he, I know he set me up with a lawyer to, you know, work all the paperwork out. And I talked to the lawyer. We worked it out. They were sending me, sent me paperwork. I filled it out and never got a dime. 
Not only did Dean not get paid, but years later, around 2004, she ran into Babyface at an LA restaurant. And when she went up to speak to him, he didn't remember who she was. Now, when Kay came in, it was originally just for band camp, like we mentioned, with the girls, songwriting, backing vocals. And Dee was still the singing voice of Josie then, but the two women never actually met. There were fans of each other's work, though, with Kay having heard Dee's voice over and over again when she listened to early cuts of the songs. The vocals were hella impressive, which is one of the reasons Kay was told was behind why Dee was moved off the project. The reason that they let go of the original Josie wasn't because she wasn't good. It was because she was too good. Like her voice was amazing. And she would have been, but you just couldn't see it coming out of Rachel's mouth. And I feel like my, my physicality and Rachel's is kind of similar. We're both tiny girls and, and, um, and it just kind of, I just showed her what, I would do and the physicality of how I, you know, carry myself on stage. And it really had, I let the, I let the directors handle the acting part of it. I don't, that's not what I do. D2 was a massive fan of Kay's work. And again, these two women never met, just learned about each other after the fact. And when she saw the end result up on the big screen in the theater, just after the movie came out, there was no bitterness. When I hear it, he was absolutely perfect for Josie and the Pussycats. Perfect. I love Kay's voice on it. I thought she was amazing. <laughs> I thought she was amazing. I thought I was like, okay, you know, I fall back. Let me bow down. She was great. You know, I I get it. I thought it was awesome. You know, a lot of people didn't like it, but I thought it was awesome. And um, and I thought Kay, I thought her voice was perfect. It was perfect. You know, and I love the movie. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, too bad I couldn't have been on it, but I'm glad I did get to write, you know, a little bit on there. And I still have the pick that James from the Go-Go's gave me. I still have the pick from the uh, guitar pick with her name on it that she gave me because she, you know, me and her got along really well. She thought that I was um, really awesome. And I thought that she was awesome. And I was like, I can't believe I'm in this writing room with James and the Go-Go's. <laughs> it was amazing. There's a lot of weird connections about Josie and the Pussycats and the intersection of race, feminism, and how that intermingles with pop culture. Like the story of Patrice Holloway, who sung Valerie into existence and incidentally made that character hugely important to a whole generation of black kids who saw themselves represented in that intelligent, kind, and rational character from 1971 onwards. Dee watches that cartoon growing up and years later would kickstart her career as part of an all-black, all-girl rock band in an industry and genre that was largely male and largely white, especially in the 90s. She goes on to work as the singing voice of Josie in a blockbuster live-action version of Josie and the Pussycats, but that doesn't eventuate and the movie releases in spring 2001. Fast forward to 2017 and CW Netflix drop Riverdale, where Valerie, played by Hayley Law, isn't the only woman of colour in Josie and the Pussycats. The whole band is black, with Asha Bromfield as Melody and Ashley Murray as Josie.
Ashley Murray singing as Josie in the show, and this is a cute story. As someone who wasn't necessarily keeping up with the hottest teen show in town, Dee wasn't aware that Josie and the Pussycats was now an all-girl, all-black rock band. Just like Edith's wish were. Fast forward all these years later, and you're at the Critics' Choice Awards. That's right! <laughs> what oh, was that experience like? That. Yeah, I know. So did I. And what then I was these like, correlations. I'm not even putting them all together. <laughs> oh, let me fast forward. That's a funny story. Fast forward to meeting at the Critics Award. At uh, I come out. We're at the hotel, uh, Beverly <clears throat> Wilshire Hotel. Beverly Hills. One of I think the Beverly Wilshire the Hotel. I come in, I see this beautiful black girl with her legs wrapped around the head of a guy. <laughs> <laughs> so she's got this guy in a headlock with her thighs, <laughs> with her legs. And I was like, what the hell is going on? I'm with uh, David, and David's like <laughs> laughing, and I was like, Okay, what's going on here? And then so the guy comes, you know, everybody's standing around his, and then we realize who this is, which is Jensen from Super, what's Supernatural? Jared and Jensen. Okay, the the two stars of of uh, Supernatural, right? Every everybody was playing around, so. Jared was wrestling with somebody, which is very, you know, normal because the first time I met Jared, he was wrestling David, my man. <laughs> they were wrestling, they had a wrestling match at, at uh, you know, at the at the con at the San Diego Comic Con. Now here, Jared is wrestling somebody else I didn't know who, and then, uh, and then Jensen is wrestling Josie. So I was like, this is hilarious. And then as he comes out of uh, the headlock, he goes, hi, how are you? And he comes and shakes my hand. And I was like, hi. And he goes, I'm Jensen. And this is, and he introduced the beautiful black woman, Ashley. And I was like, girl, you got some strong legs. He's like, yeah, I was just showing them off. And we end up talking and come to find out. And we hit it off talking there. And come to find out she's Josie. She's Josie and the Pussycat. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. I was like, yeah, I was the original. I think I said I was the original voice on there. And exchange numbers and Instagrams. And and I think, yes. And I told her, I was like, oh, my gosh. My friend Maria is doing this podcast called Josie and the Podcast. <laughs> And she's doing these interviews. You should definitely, um, y'all need to hook up. Yeah, I got a I, Instagram I or something. Got a FaceTime call from you at two in the morning, which I missed, and to oh, yeah. this day, oh yeah, to this oh, day, right. I'm like, I was trying to. <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that part. I tried. I called you oh. to tell to try to introduce you guys. Coming up on the next episode of Josie and the Podcasts. Release. 
Josie and the Pussycats are on the cover of Entertainment Weekly as they lead the slate of spring releases for 2001. But that fairy tale ending eludes the casting crew as the movie flops at the box office and seals the film's fate as an underappreciated cult classic. Be sure to subscribe to this show so you're the first to know about all the upcoming episodes and some bonus ones. If you like this, DuJour means chuck us a rating and review to help other people find it as well. This episode of Josie and the Podcasts was researched, written and presented by me, Maria Lewis. And produced by me, Blake Howard. Our podcast artwork was done by the talented Amy Reid, who you can find on Instagram at, at ai.me.me or via email at amy.reid0310 at gmail.com. Our jerkin theme is courtesy, of course, of Bossy Loves Amanda Wilkinson and Edwin Organ. Bossy Loves' brand new album, Me Plus You, is out now wherever you get your music. And if you know someone who's hearing impaired and would enjoy this show, written versions of every episode, including the bonus apps, are available online at Graffiti with Punctuation. The link is in our show notes. Until next time, who's a rock star? Josie in the podcast.